We are looking at Hebrews chapter 11 today, verses 13 to 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. When I was four years old, my family packed their suitcases and left for the other side of the world, taking with them a little bit of money, their belongings that would fit into their suitcases, and two small children. My mum and dad grew up in Rhodesia, now known as Zimbabwe in southern Africa. Mum was a teacher and dad was a doctor there. And dad was working in the public hospital in the early 1980s and he started seeing some alarming signs that all was not well in the new regime that everyone hoped would bring about opportunity and equality. He started seeing people who had clearly been tortured. So when the phone rang one day and he was offered a job in New Zealand, he jumped at the opportunity, and so off we went. And we moved to Timaru, population 43,000 in 1986. It's particularly poignant to me now, because my two children, Arla and Juniper, are the same ages that my brother and I were when we moved, leaving behind everything that we knew to try and make a new life on the other side of the world. And I just want to acknowledge as well that there are people in this church who've done the same thing in more recent memory than me. Um, and my family was lucky. Uh, we had a job to come to. We had chosen rather than being forced to leave, and we moved to a country where we spoke the language. <laughs> Sorry, that's me, age three, uh, with a chameleon on my arm, just to you know show that I actually did live in Zimbabwe. And if you can see, it's a Wombles t-shirt. It's really cool. Um, and there's me and mum getting on board an Air Zimbabwe plane. Uh, I don't know how comfortable I'd feel flying Air Zimbabwe these days. <laughs> but anyway, so I was thinking about the word in this passage, exiles. Um, and as I talk today, the global population of refugees stands at 68.5 million individuals. It's a huge number of people. And these are people forced to leave their homes because of either conflict or persecution. Now, I really can't uh, do this topic justice today, except to say that there are a lot of people who experience what it is like to really be an exile. We live in a mobile world. Even 100 years ago, people would have grown up and stayed fairly close to the town in which they were born. But now many people grow up in cultures different to the ones of their parents or even the place that they were born. Families move for jobs, maybe as missionaries, maybe working in the army, various reasons. And in the 1950s, sociologists coined a term, third culture kids. These are people who've grown up in a culture different to their parents' culture. And they, the sociologists recognized that these people had distinct standards of interpersonal behavior, work-related norms, codes of lifestyle, and communication. They actually form a new cultural group. 
that doesn't form into either their home culture or their host culture, but rather they share a culture with other third culture kids. So I read this book, um, Third Culture Kids, and suddenly all these things in my life just started to make sense to me. I've never felt entirely like I belong in New Zealand, and yet neither do I belong in Zimbabwe, my home, home country. And I've always just felt a little bit different somehow. Growing up, my family felt different. We had different words for things. We said muti for medicine, tacky for sneaker, and extension flex when we mean extension cord. We had African baskets and fabrics in our home. And the longing for the animals and plants of the southern African bush never left my parents. As well as this, when someone says, where are you from? I'm never quite sure what to say. And I really struggle to do my pepeha when I stand up on a marae. As we look at the scripture today, it seems to me that as Christians, we're all third culture kids. We're born into a culture. And yet when we commit our lives to Jesus, we inherit a heavenly or a spiritual culture that is quite different to the one that we're born into. And then we live our lives with the slight sense of knowing that we don't quite belong. I'm going to talk to three main points today. The first is that we started in a garden. The second is that we end in a city. And the third is that the journey is important. So I don't know if anyone caught Malcolm's sermon a few weeks back. Did anyone hear that? He did a great job. Um, Malcolm talked about the Garden of Eden, and he made the point that God's relationship with Adam and Eve, the first humans, was perfect in Eden until what he called the fruit incident. That perfect relationship was broken, and because Adam and Eve were now tainted by their sin, they couldn't remain in God's holy presence. They had to leave the Garden of Eden, and there was no way back. God had to move them forwards. And we see throughout the rest of the Old Testament that the tabernacle and then the temple became imperfect and temporary ways of relating once more to God. Then when Jesus came and died on the cross, he became the way we're able to have a relationship with God once more. So when I say Eden formed us, this is what I mean. We started in a garden, in a perfect, beautiful, good place in direct and loving relationship with God. This is where we've come from. It's foundational to who we are as human beings. The place that we came to exist was a place of perfect, direct connection to God. Now hold that thought as we look at today's passage. Hebrews 11 starts with a definition of faith, and it's a beautiful definition Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. It's not clear exactly where, and it's not clear exactly who wrote the book. It was probably written around AD 70, maybe slightly before. And it seems like there was some persecution happening. Those uh, Jewish believers had been ostracized. They'd been kicked out of their communities. People were not happy with them for becoming Christians. And the author of Hebrews seeks to encourage them to carry on in their faith because they may have been tempted to return to Judaism, to, to look back to where they had come from as a way of avoiding that persecution. And then the chapter 
goes on to list a bunch of people who are examples of faith in their lifetime. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Matt did a great job um, talking about Abraham um, the other week. The interesting thing is that all these people were before the time of Jesus, before the time of established Jewish religion. They weren't without flaws. They certainly had doubts and questions, and yet the thing that they all had in common, the thing that made them noteworthy was their faith. And this is what they had in common. They believed in the promises of God, holding firmly to their belief that God would deliver his promises. And God was pleased with them because of this. And yet, they didn't see the fulfillment of all of God's promises in their lifetimes. I've found this amazing quote, if we can have slide three, um, by the Christian author A.W. Tozer. He says, faith is a kind of sight because faith sees what has not yet happened. And if we have actual faith, we act as if we see what we believe. That's quite profound. We act as if we see what we believe. And then carrying on with with the chapter in Hebrews, right in the middle of this list of the faithful, these examples of faith. There's this verse, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having acknowledged it from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And when you look at other translations of this verse, uh, all these words are used. Pilgrims, aliens, temporary residents on the earth, sojourners, foreigners, nomads, refugees, transients. So you start to get the picture that their identity on earth in this lifetime was that they were temporary and that they didn't belong, but they were going somewhere. We are created in the image of God and his original intention for us was to be in perfect relationship, just like in the Garden of Eden, And as long as we're not in that state, something feels wrong. Sin, sickness, disease, demons, death, environmental destruction, self-hatred, mental illness, cruelty, none of these things are the intention of God. And yet they are realities in the world we live in, and sometimes even in our own lives. Suffering is real in the journey that we're on. And we're not exempt from this as Christians. I think where the verse talks about in verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. It's not talking about Eden, our original home, but rather it's talking about the cultures that we have come out of. We've gone out from the places that we started. Our values have changed. Our focus is different. We have this ache in our souls, this knowledge deep in our bones that this is not all there is. That sin and sickness and brokenness and death is not how it's supposed to be. We were made for the garden, but God has called us onwards towards the heavenly city. Eden formed us, but the heavenly city 
calls us. The complete fulfillment of our spiritual kingdom has not yet occurred. We're still on the journey, not at home in the cultures of the earth that we find ourselves in. And unlike the list of faithful in Hebrews 11, we have some advantages. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to comfort us, to speak to us. We have the Bible, and we have the grace of God that we experienced through the death of Jesus on the cross. But Jesus has not yet returned to unite the spiritual realm and the physical realm and to establish his kingship here on earth. We still have an enemy, Satan, who wages war against humans with great hatred. We and all God's good creation live out our lives in this place of waiting, of looking forward with longing, of acknowledging from afar, not fully seeing, but looking with eyes of faith. In Philippians chapter 3, it says, But our homeland is in heaven where our Savior Jesus Christ is, and we are looking forward to his return from there. When he comes back, he will take these dying bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same mighty power that he will use to conquer all else elsewhere. And 1 Corinthians says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be fully known, or sorry, I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. The second point that I want to make is that we end in a city. The concept of heaven is a place of perfection. It's the place that God dwells and where those closely associated with him belong. And we get these little visions and glimpses of heaven recorded in scripture, but no one knows exactly what it will be like, except that it's imperishable, unfading, and beautiful. And I'm not saying here that everything on earth is bad because we get glimpses of heaven through the beauty that God has put on earth. We get glimpses of heaven through the um, love that we share with each other. And we get glimpses of heaven when we are in God's presence. But when the Hebrew author mentions a heavenly country and says that God has prepared a city for them, He's talking about the same place. He's talking about a concept called the heavenly Jerusalem. This takes the earthly Jerusalem, which was the place where the Jewish temple was in those days, um, and God makes it perfect. There's none of the sin that is there in earthly Jerusalem, and there's not even a need for the temple because God himself is there. And John and Paul, the authors of the New Testament, or some of the authors of the New Testament, talk about the heavenly Jerusalem and the perfection of the earthly one that will occur when Jesus returns and everything is made right with God. I was thinking about what the difference was between Eden and this heavenly city. It's almost Eden restored, but more, because the heavenly city is the throne, the ruling place of God. And Jesus, who sits in victory at the right hand of God. Now, at the time that the book of Hebrews was written, there were three kind of commonly understood beliefs about a city, 
A city had a symbolic meaning to the people at that time. Uh, In Jewish thought, uh, a city was the place of divine sovereignty, the rulership or kingship of God. In Greek thought, a city was a place of special privilege, so just for a select few. And in Stoic thought, which was an ancient Greek philosophy common at the time, the city was seen as a focus of universal hope. In Hebrews 11, we see the author using all three of these concepts. God's city is where God's rule is perfect. He lives there among his people, human and angelic. And by special privilege, it is the chosen people's city, that is the faithful Israelites. And yet, Jesus throws it open to everyone who believes in him. John, in Revelation chapter 21, describes a vision that he has of this heavenly city. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We've come from a good place, from Eden. We're going to a good place, to the heavenly city. And on the journey, our faith makes us certain that we follow a good God. But why is the journey important? I really believe that we have a purpose on this earth. Each of us has a unique set of gifts and skills and passions that we can use to serve God. As God works in us, he transforms us to be more like Jesus. And as we follow him, He leads us to do good works that he's already laid out for us to do. Can we have the next slide? The preacher John Piper, when he asked, what is the purpose of our lives, said this, that purpose is to live in such a way as to make the surpassing worth of God in Christ look like what it really is. To live in such a way as to make the infinite value of Jesus more plain than if you had not lived. Your uniqueness brings glory to God. Your faith journey brings glory to God. He loves you. God builds his kingdom in us and through us. And he uses us to bring healing and to spread the incredible light of the gospel in a world that desperately needs it. As we are built together in love, we, the community of Jesus, the church, point the way to Jesus. And Jesus opens the way to the heavenly city. This is why the journey is important. Because God wants everyone to have a relationship with him and to ultimately end up with him for eternity. And I just want to say that we don't always understand the eternal significance of our actions here on earth. We just can't see the way God does, how our faith ripples out to impact the world around us. 
Can we have the last slide? Um, so one of the most well-known physical, uh, sorry, not physical, spiritual figures of our time is Mother Teresa, the nun who fought, founded the Order of the Missionaries of Charity. And she lived most of her life in relative hardship in Calcutta, India, serving the poorest of the poor. Uh, in 1979, she received a Nobel Peace Prize for work undertaken in the struggle to overcome poverty and distress. But she refused the prize money, insisting that it be given to the needy. And yet after her death, it was revealed that for much of her life, she struggled with her faith. She experienced intense inner suffering. And she said, even deep down, I feel nothing but emptiness and darkness. And yet although she suffered greatly from not feeling the presence of God, she never stopped believing in God and serving him with her life. And she's attributed with saying, God did not call me to be successful, but to be faithful. Even though we don't understand everything about our lives, even though at times we may not even feel the presence of God, our faith pleases God. So if you've come here today and you're feeling tired, or you're feeling discouraged, or you just feel like you've lost the big picture for your life and got bogged down in the details, I want to tell you that this message is for you. Lift up your eyes and take courage because our destination is the heavenly city, the place of perfect connection to God, where we see face to face, where death and sickness and sorrow are no more. And while we are not there yet, we can know with certainty that God is good and that he is faithful and that he will provide everything we need for this earthly journey. Thank you.